0: Thank you, Pastor Steve, for the announcements. Hey, we're going to be uh, leaving tomorrow for Panama. Steve already mentioned that. So next Sunday, uh, we have a guest speaker, Olivia Klinkner, who spoke a few weeks ago. She's in the she's in her usual spot in the back row today. She's she's preaching next week. We're going through the Book of Acts this summer, so she'll be continuing our series. And then we're back from Panama, and I think it's Christy Kerr preaching that week. Perhaps we will decide that. And then the week after that, Steve Maxwell himself preaching. So come one, come all, tell your friends. So we got a great few weeks coming up as we wrap up our summer series. Um, the last, uh, just uh, another quick announcement, but the last Sunday in August, August 26th, I believe is the date. The last Sunday in August, we're doing another water baptism service. Um, it'll most likely be what we've done in the years past, just an outdoor service, weather permitting in the front yard here. We have a, a portable wa- water baptism tank that we use. We have a great time for the whole family to be out there. We'll have a lunch after. But if you've never been water baptized and you would like to make that step of faith, pro- proclamation of you are a child of God, you are a follower of Jesus, and you want to do that, we see that in Scripture... Um, We would love to have you join us, so talk to one of the staff members here. Talk to us. Just let us know you'd like to be baptized, and we'll give you all the information on that. Okay, so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today. We're continuing on. This is part eight of our series, our summer series going through the book of Acts, and if if you haven't been here for a lot of them, you're just getting caught up, here is the deal with the book of Acts. This was written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. This is the continuation of the story. So, the Gospels are the life and teaching of Jesus, all the miracles Jesus did, his death and resurrection. The book of Acts takes over right after the resurrection of Jesus, and what happens with these disciples? Because Jesus gives them the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And the book of Acts is all of these adventures that the first disciples go on. You see the gospel proclaimed. You see persecution break out. You see new characters, bad guys come into the story, people that are going to persecute. A couple weeks ago we talked about the story of Saul who led the persecution and then God miraculously saved him. And he became known as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote many words in the New Testament. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. These these are the stories that we've been covering over the last few weeks. Well, today, we are in Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to start out by reading verse 1 through 5. It's going to be in the NIV translation. If you want to have a Bible to follow along with, there should be some black hardcover Bibles in the, in the pews that you're sitting in. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. But this is Acts chapter 13, as we begin, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. It says this, Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and their teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, manian again, names I'm probably not pronouncing right, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So this is, I'm going to stop there for a minute, this is the first missionary journey. If you know the book of Acts, you know that there were three times that Paul, the Saul that they mentioned here became Paul, he went on a missionary journey. He was following the great commission that God had for him. This is Where the church decided to be very intentional and deliberate about their call to go. This was their call to go. Leaving Antioch. So, this was the first missionary journey. Leaving Antioch. They went to Cyprus, as well as several other stops. A few of them we'll read about this morning. And they encounter great things, great miracles that God does. They encounter many, many souls that come to faith in Jesus Christ. But they also encounter sickness and threats, and danger, and other miracles that take place. And this journey that they went on, which we read about in a couple of chapters in Acts, actually took about three years. This was three years where Paul and Barnabas and this guy named John, who was their helper, went on this missionary journey. This was the church being deliberate to go into the world. This was the church deciding. This was a key moment, because up until now, it was really about the disciples and the apostles. Wherever they were, they were proclaiming the gospel. But they knew the great commission that had been given to them by Jesus, to go not just where you are, but to go into all the world. And so this is such a key moment where they decide to go from where they are and go into the known world preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take this message out into the world. And I love this story because we, as the church of Jesus Christ, at the heart of our faith is a call to go, right? Somebody should say amen to that. It's a call to go, to go into all the world. We are a movement that goes into the world. If you don't know this, our church is a part of the denomination called the Assemblies of God. Now, that might just be church speak to you, but our movement, our denomination is a missions focused movement. At the heart of what we believe as a church is this call to go. So the Assemblies of God has missionaries and churches all over the world. We send people around the world like they did in Acts chapter 13 with the call to go. We fund missionaries. Our church funds missionaries. At, our, at the heart of our church, Homestead Church, we are a going church. We want to be about the work of God around the world. This is core to our faith. Not just as Homestead Church not just in the assemblies of God, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to go, to go not just be where we are, but to go... And to preach the gospel because it is not just about the people here. We love the people here. We're glad you're here today. But as soon as a church, if you find a church that is all consumed with just the people here and making the people here happy, I'm just going to go through as the pastor of this church assuming you're all joyful and happy all the time, right? No, we love you and we care for you and you are important. But as soon as a church becomes only concerned with the people who are in the room... Then we start bickering about color and carpet or uh, ministries that we have or why there was certain pizza served for the youth and not other certain pizza. And we got to get rid of all those thoughts about becoming inward focused and focus on those who are not yet here. It is not just about the people who are inside, but God calls us to go to those who have not heard. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 13 today. It's good timing because, as Steve mentioned, we have a team going to Panama tomorrow for a week where we are going. We are going. We have great friends who are missionaries there who, call, who felt the call of God to go to minister to the youth culture in Panama. We support them financially. We're sending a team down there. There are churches around the country sending team members down there this week. We're going to go into school assemblies because we have been called to go to tell people who are hurting and broken that there is love and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's why we go. That's why we go. This is what we're about as people of God. So really the main point of this message today, what we see in Acts chapter 13, what we see throughout the book of Acts is this. We must never forget that there is an urgency to our faith. There's an urgency to the Great Commission. There's an urgency where we say we can't just sit around and do nothing. We have to go. There are people who need to hear it. There is an urgency to this commission. We are bringing light of Jesus Christ to a dark world, we must go. And I love preaching this message to this group of people because as I was preparing and praying this week, it occurred to me that there's probably people in this room that at some point, God is going to kind of knock on your heart and say, hey, how about you be a missionary somewhere? How about you have this call to go? Like these early disciples, maybe you're going to be in a time of prayer, and God's going to drop a dream in your heart of a country around the world where you're going to get called to be a missionary. I love thinking about that. And if that's you, maybe God's stirring on your heart right now, and you're thinking, oh, man, I shouldn't have come to church today. But I just got to tell you, as our as your pastor, I look forward to the day where, as a church, we can send perhaps people in this room today to another nation saying, we're going to support you in prayer and finance because we are a church that goes to those who need it. So in today's message, we're going to look through some verses in chapter 13 of Acts, this missionary journey, and I'm going to highlight four things that we find through this missionary journey, four things that we find in these early believers that we must have in our faith as we factor in the great commission into our life, into everything we do. So the first point, point, they're going to be up on the screen. The first point is this. We've already read these verses. They were open. They were open. They were open. And what does that mean? You read that in verse 2. It says this, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They were open. They were having times where they were worshiping. It says later, when after they had prayed, while they were fasting, this is when God spoke to them. They were a group of disciples that were open to God. They weren't just going about life as normal, but they had time in their life where they were seeking God and they were open to be used however God wanted them to be used. They were praying. They were fasting. Fasting, if you don't know, is when you give up something. Typically, it's giving up food for a certain time. We see that Jesus fasted in the desert. This was a part of the New Testament church. So if you've never done that, I encourage you, maybe take a meal. Take a lunch someday, and instead of eating, that what you would do is say, I'm going to deny my physical body this food, and instead... When I start to feel hungry, I'm going I'm to have that translate to a hunger for the Lord. And you say, God, I'm going to give up this meal. Maybe it's a day. Some people do longer fasts. And you say, instead of focusing on my physical needs right now, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to deny my flesh, and I'm going to focus on you. This is what the early disciples were doing. They were fasting. They were praying. They were seeking God. They were open. They were open. They recognized The urgency of a great commission that Jesus had given to them led them to just an open heart to the Lord saying, God, I will go wherever you want. I will do whatever you want to do. This is what it means to be open to God, to be seeking him. God, I will do whatever you want me to do. If God's going to call you to do something, and it might not be a missionary to Africa, it might be something here, but if God's going to do that, you have to have those moments in your life where you are open to God. Right? Where you are fasting, where you are praying, when you are worshiping, when you're with other people and seeking God. And the heart of every believer is God, simply, I am here for you. I am open. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do, right? This is the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus. So I'm asking you today, as followers of Jesus, are you open? Are you open to God? Are you listening? Is there times. In your week, when you are seeking God, when you are unplugging from all the noise and it's just you and God, and you are simply saying, God, I'm here for you, I'm open to whatever you want me to do. Times when you're praying, times when you're reading the Word, times when you're fasting. I, I know in my life fasting needs to be more of a regular routine. It's a very once-in-a-while thing for me, and I need to step up my game with that, whether it's food or social media or whatever it is. But it's, a, it's an idea of sacrificing something so that you get more in tune with the voice of God. Are you having times in your week when you are open to God? We have a group of guys that meet every other Friday. We've only done it a few times, but it's enough times to say it's a regular thing. So we have a group of guys that meet every other Friday on, at the Blue Nose. If you want to come, not this Friday, but next Friday, we'll be meeting again, 7 a.m. at the Blue Nose Coffee. And there's about 8 to 10 of us who've been meeting there. And we were talking this week about how we need to work at our faith, work at our spiritual disciplines. And so we were just going around talking about what that looks like. And there was more than one person that simply said, I, I have a time carved out and I'm disciplined in it and I read the word, and I pray, and then a few guys even said this, and I have time when I just listen, when I just listen. I don't want to be talking the whole time. I don't want to be reading the whole time, but there is a time in there carved out where I listen for the voice of God to communicate something, where I listen and I say, God, what would you have for me today? What would you have for me today? There is a real practical guidance that comes with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit might be something that sounds kind of mystical and churchy, but there is a real guidance that comes to our life when we simply say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me? It might be a small thing. And some of the guys that our group were sharing, sometimes they're just praying and, and they'll, they'll sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding them to call somebody that day. A name will drop into their mind, and, and that's God's way of saying, reach out to this person today. It might be something small like that, some insight to a trouble they're having at work or someone they're supposed to reach out to. And it could be something big where God might put on your heart a whole new direction for your life, a whole new call on your life where you're thinking, wow, this is a big thing. I got to tell you, there's been probably four or five times where God has done that. I grew up in Western Canada. So the fact that I am here pastoring a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, there was definitely some moments where I was listening to God and God said, move here, go here take this job, go to this school, go over here, move to this other country. And it's not like I moved to a third world country. I moved to Minnesota. Um, But to get here, there was definitely those moments where God spoke something big to my heart. Maybe God wants to speak to, to you something big. And maybe it's just something small or practical, some insight, something that you're looking for guidance and you're like, I wish I knew what to do. Well, that is what the Holy Spirit does. Find time in your life, in your week, where you allow God to speak to you. Be open. Be open. These disciples were open to God, to the things of God, to be obedient to what he called them to do. There were other guys there. So there was five guys there, and two of them got called to go to, to be missionaries. And so what we see here is, of all the people seeking God, God's got a different call for everybody, God's got a different call. You might be in a part of a group and God's going to put something in someone's heart and you're like, well, what about me? And God's got something different for you. We have people who are sent to be missionaries, which means there are people who go and there are people who send. So my, God might be not be calling you to be a missionary in another country, but what God is calling you to do is to help send the missionaries that feel called to go. That's through prayer, that's through support, that's through finances. I don't want it to be, though, that I think too often we settle for, oh, I'm just a sender. I'm just a sender because sending sounds easy. I can sit here in church and put something in the offering every once in a while and say, I'm a sender. God said send, pastor said God has goers and God has senders. I'm a sender. But, and that could be you, but perhaps it's just that you're not open to God. He's maybe knocking at your heart and you're not listening. Maybe there's something new that God has for you, a new direction, a practical guidance, a step of faith that he has. But the key is, and what we see in these early disciples, what we see throughout Acts, and what we want to see in us, is an openness to God. However you want to use me, Lord, I am here. However you want to use me, I am here. So that's the first point. The second point is this. They prioritized. They prioritized. So I mentioned the five guys here. Now this kind of is hidden in here. This would be a verse that you kind of read through and it just seems like, oh, here's a lot of names, here's a lot of details that don't really make a difference in the story. But here's where I want to read this. I want to read verse 1 again and talk about this. They prioritized what was important and what wasn't important. So I'm going to read verse 1 again, and you're going to be like, huh, how does that mean prioritized? But here we go, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and it lists these names. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And that's it. And you're like, great, that's five names. But I want to tell you who these five guys were, okay? And then see if you can kind of get the point that I'm making here. Barnabas was a devout Jew, lifelong Jew, an early disciple. He was in the group of early disciples that had experienced that persecution in Jerusalem when persecution broke out against the followers of Jesus. Barnabas would have been one of those. Saul He was the leader of the persecution, okay? So Barnabas is there being persecuted, and Saul was the guy leading the persecution, okay? So that's Barnabas and Saul. Simon, Niger, called the black man. He was a black man, a descendant from Africa. He would have definitely been considered an outsider by probably both Barnabas and Saul, who they weren't getting along either in their former life, okay? So that's Barnabas, Saul, Simeon, and Lucius, from an African city of Cyrene, a prosperous, wealthy city. So he would have looked at the poor people as outsiders. So you've got those four guys who have every reason to be opposed to one another. There's no way these four guys should have been getting along, let alone sitting in a room fasting and praying. And I haven't even mentioned the fifth guy, Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So what does that mean? He was a Roman citizen, a prominent Roman ruler. He was brought up with Roman royalty. So if you know the story, Israelites hated Romans because Rome was the empire. They were like, the Jews were like slave labor to the Roman empire. So not only do you have these four guys who should not be getting along, now you have another guy who was brought up with the Roman ruler, Herod. So all four of these guys would have hated the fifth guy. So there is no way... These guys should have been getting along at all. Every possible reason to be opposed to one another was found in these five gentlemen. Okay, so in terms of today's world, all right, and no offense by these, but I just was thinking of what this would look like in today's world. Maybe one would be like a hyper-conservative Christian. Another guy would be a devout militant, a devout militant Muslim. Another one would be the leader of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then finally, you have a guy with his stars and stripes and a hat that says, Make America Great Again. And they're all in a room. And you think there is no way these people are going to get along, right? You look at that and you think, put those four people in a room and look out. And if you turn on the cable news broadcast today, this is what happens. Because it is every reason to be opposed. Yet here they are in a room, fasting and praying together with a heart open to God that says, God, use us and send us everywhere. How in the world is that possible? In our world, that doesn't make sense, but how in the world is that possible? Because faith in Jesus Christ was more important to them than any political, racial, economic, any other differences that they could think of. They had prioritized what was important Sure, there was reason to be opposed to one another, but that was less on the priority scale than the call of God on their life. Their faith in Jesus was more important. They're probably sitting, you probably had some people like, how in the world are you guys getting along? And their response would be, why would we worry about these divisions? these small things? Why would we worry about these reasons to be opposed to one another? These don't matter anymore compared to the life that we have in a resurrected Jesus. We have been commissioned to go. That is what is important. And they would say, what else matters? What else matters other than being called by God to go? This verse right here speaks so strongly to unity in the church. Unity in the church doesn't mean we're all going to think the same way or vote for the same people or have the same social issues that are important to us. What unity in the church is, All these things are important to me, but we are united by something greater, and that is the call of Jesus on our life. We're not going to let these things that are secondary divide us when we are united by the call of Jesus Christ on our life. Amen? This is how we as Christians in our hyper-political, social outrage world, this is how we can shine a light by saying, it's not that these things don't matter, but we are united in something greater. And that's what we see in this verse. These five guys being united The urgency of the Great Commission caused them to prioritize what was more important and what was less important. This is huge. For us today, we must allow the call of God on our life to do that work, to prioritize what is important and what isn't important, right? There's going to be things that are high on the importance scale, but when God comes in and puts a call on our life, we say, that's not as important anymore, And for some of you today, you need to hear that message. Allow God to show you maybe things that you are focused on that should be secondary, that you have elevated to top level of importance in your life. Maybe you need to do a little inventory in your heart of what am I spending my time on? If I looked at my weekly calendar or I made a rundown of how I spent every hour this week, what what would I look at and see is the most important? And maybe it's doing an inventory of that. What are you spending your time on? Maybe it's your checkbook. What a checkbook. Do anyone use checkbooks anymore? Kids, that's where we used to have paper where we'd write something down and the bank would transfer the money. And um, How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? Maybe it's what is weighing you down? What are you burdened by? What are the things that cause you to feel anxious and worried? And in light of a great commission, in light of a call of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel, maybe these other things just aren't that important. Anymore. This is why a missions trip is so important for everyone to go on because it causes a prioritization. Especially if you're going to a third world country, you come back changed. You come back realizing, oh man, I was worried that my third car was getting a little bit of rust on the bottom of one door. And that was what was causing my heart to be anxious and worried. And you go to another country and you come back and you're like, man, yeah, I have, my priorities were all messed up. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? What is weighing you down? What conflict in your life is caused by something that's just not important? Perhaps there's a relationship in your life that is broken, and there's a division that has come in, and you're both followers of Jesus, and you could say, you know what? In light of the unity that Jesus causes, this secondary thing is not important. It's no reason to be divided. When the gospel does its work in us, it prioritizes what is truly important. So, the first point is they were open. The second point is they prioritized. And the third point is this they persevered. They persevered. Paul and Barnabas faced victories as you read on, and we're going to read a couple of verses. They faced times where there was great victory, salvations, miracles. And they faced times where it was a battle, where it was tough. They faced opposition and difficulty. In verse 6, they encounter a false prophet who was very influential, and he was in close with the rulers and the governing officials, and he was causing a ruckus. And there was this great moment where Paul prayed, and this false prophet was struck blind temporarily. And I love that moment, and the, and the governor of the, of the nation they were in looked and like, man, your God must be real. It was this great victory. There was great triumph. But you also read in verse 13, there were some difficult times. And this, again, is some verses where there's meaning behind the words, and we'll get into a little bit. I'm going to read verse 13 and 14. Acts 13, verse 13 says this. Again, sorry for the pronunciation of some of these. From Paphos, Paul, now Paul is Saul. He's now known as Paul. This is actually the chapter where he goes from being known as Saul, the old persecutor, to Paul, now new life in Christ, Here's verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed from Perga Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And from Perga, they went out onto Pisidian Antioch. Okay, so I'm stopping there. And you're like, great. Again, thanks for this encouraging word. This is changing my heart today. I'm so glad I invited my friend to church today so they could hear you butcher the names of those cities. It quickly mentions that John left them. So it was Paul and Barnabas and their associate, John, and he left them. And then it talks about they went on from this one place to the other place. As I was studying this week, there is so much going on in these verses that don't get referred to. It doesn't get mentioned here, but this was a very, very difficult season for Paul and Barnabas. First of all, Paul feels deserted by John. He left them. We don't know why. He just deserted them. And Paul feels offended and deserted, like, how could you leave me? How could you leave me? We find later on, this is, a, this is a big deal for Paul. It actually gets to the point where Barnabas goes to Paul chapters later and says, hey, Paul, John wants to come back. And Paul says, uh-uh, he deserted us once, fool me once, shame on you and, you know, shame on the other guy, that sort of thing. Paul was like, there's no way, there's no way we're doing that. This was a big thing for Paul. But what we also know here from doing some reading in some other chapters is Paul became very sick right here. Paul was very sick at this point of his missionary journey. And how we know that is because in the epistles, later on in the New Testament, Paul wrote letters to these very groups of people. And we have those in our scripture. The book of Philippians, the book of Galatians, Ephesians are letters that Paul wrote to the groups of people that he was traveling to. So the book of Galatians later on was written to these groups of people that Paul just visited in Acts chapter 13. And so what I want to do is read a couple of verses in Galatians. Galatians 4, verse 12. And this is where Paul is talking to these people that he visited, that we just read about in Acts 13. says this in Galatians 4. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. Paul was sick enough that the groups of people came close to being like, we don't want anything to do with you. You're a mess. Paul was sick. In other letters, Paul refers to, and maybe you've heard this, as a thorn in the flesh. Paul had some sort of ailment or some, something going on in his life that he pleaded with God, God, please take this from me. This is debilitating. This is what is all going on in these verses in Acts chapter 13. Paul battled sickness. Something that he would continue to battle for the rest of his life. This was a tough season for Paul. He is not well. He's facing opposition. And then John, one of his trusted companions, just deserts him. This was a low point. This was a low point. And I'm sure there were moments where Paul was thinking, is it worth it? Is this worth it? Is this call to God worth it? Wouldn't it be easier if we just gave up? Wouldn't it be easier if we just did like John and just went back to Jerusalem? I'm sure there was moments where he was tempted to give up. But they persevered they persevered the call of god on their life compelled them to persevere the urgency of the great commission compelled them to persevere even when it was difficult in those verses i and the verse 14 i read those places from perga they went on to pisidian antioch now that's just again one sentence Again, there was commentaries that were saying, this isn't like hopping on a bus or getting on a boat or walking down the side of the road. This particular road between Perga and Pisidian Antioch was treacherous. They had to cross a mountain pass. The roads were very dangerous, scaling these mountains, also known where robbers and thieves would hang out. So this was not, hey, we're in Farmington, we're going to go up to Rosemount, let's walk to Rosemount. No, this was dangerous. So they're facing all these difficulties. Paul is debilitatingly sick. He's being deserted by his companions. They're going through the very difficult mountain pass. They're probably getting beat up by robbers. All these things are happening, and they persevered, right? They persevered. They would preach in some places, and the results were amazing. And they'd go to other places, as you read on, where everyone said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. We want nothing to do with your message. And they persevered. There are going to be times for us as we follow Jesus where we're doing the work of the Lord, where we're doing our best to follow him, where we're doing our best to seek after him and to be open and to prioritize the things that we want in our life. And there's going to be times when the bottom absolutely drops out of our life. And I bet many people in here have experienced that. We've experienced that in our family a number of times. And the temptation is to say, God, I'm doing your work. I'm doing my best. This should not happen. This difficulty, this sickness, this persecution, this opposition, this rejection from people should not be happening. There's going to be times where it just drops out from under you in your life. And the call of Christ in our lives compels us to persevere. The urgency of the Great Commission compels us to persevere, to keep going, to keep going, We have missionaries that we support as a church. And more and more, this is why I I have moments where we bring missionaries here and we give you an opportunity to support them. We want you to know as a church and as a movement, as a denomination, we have missionaries around the world. We have missionaries that we support as a church in northern Africa where it is dangerous. And they say, you can't even refer to ourselves as Christians because we're in militant Muslim territory and we will be harmed if they know we are Christians. Tim and Susanna Decker, they were here maybe last summer or a couple summers ago. And we went out to lunch after they were here in a service, and they were telling us stories of what the reality is like for them. And they have children that they drive to school every day, and they say, most days we leave our kind of compound area and we're driving. And because we are known as the white Westerners, as I'm driving my children to school, very often other kids will be throwing rocks at our car or yelling or screaming at us like, we don't want you here. And can you imagine as a parent, you've got your kids in the back seat and you're like, God, this is the life you've called us to. And yet here's the reality my kids know is that these other people are yelling and throwing rocks at them. This is the reality of their life. We have other missionaries around the world that are dealing in very difficult situations. And what I love reading in these stories in Acts And I love any time I can spend with missionaries because you just get the passion that they have. Even though it's hard, they say it is worth it. What I love reading in these stories of Acts is the early believers, they had a passion for God. They had a passion for their faith. They were all in. They would say, Jesus has saved us. We know that he is alive and resurrected, and he has called us to go and be his witnesses. And all of them would say, what else are we going to do with our life? What else would we do? what else would we do? Would we give up? Would we just go back to the way we were living before Jesus called us? No. Are we going to worry about little conflicts and little divisions? No way. You see that in these early disciples. Are we going to let small things weigh us down when the urgency of the great commission is before us and God's called us to go? Are we going to stay away from doing the difficult things, from going through the mountain pass or whatever the other thing is that God has called us that's difficult? Are we looking at a road ahead of us and saying, that's too much, God? No, because the urgency of the Great Commission compels us. We are a church that goes. God is the God who calls us to go. Amen? God is the church that calls us to go. Are we going to quit when we face trials, when we face rejection? No, because we have a passion for our faith. The urgency of the Great Commission calls us to go. So we see in these early disciples, they were open to God, and they prioritized what was important, and they persevered when things got difficult. When they faced trials, they kept going. And there's one final point that I want to make as we wrap up today, and it's found in the last verse of chapter 13. And if you want it, it'll be up on the screen. But here's what the verse says in chapter 13, verse 52. This is how this kind of story ends and says this. And the disciples were filled with, what does it say? With joy. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love that. They were open to God and they prioritized what was important. They persevered when things got difficult and they were filled with joy. They were filled with joy. Can you imagine all that they had faced and yet they were joyful? How in the world? It seems when we are smooth sailing and prosperous and we got some of the least joyful people I know, but when you go through those difficult times, when you see God moving, when you're following the call of God on your life, when you prioritize Him first and you persevere when everything in you cries to give up, this is where we find joy. That's what we see. These disciples were filled with joy in spite of all of these other things. This is the source of joy for your life. This is the source of joy for your family. When you tap into God's call and you are open to be used and you prioritize what's important and you live your life that way and you don't get sidetracked and you persevere in difficult times, you will be filled with joy. Joy. Can you imagine? This is the source of joy in our life because you are a part of God's kingdom. Because you are seeing him moving. You are open to being used. There is something supernatural that comes in. There is a peace and a joy that passes all understanding when the rest of the world would say, you are crazy. You are crazy. Look at all the things that you're having to go through. Yet we persevere because the urgency of the Great Commission compels us to go and we have joy Because of it. Amen? We have joy. I want to encourage you this week to do these things that we saw these early disciples do. To remember that we are called to go. We are called to go. And that might mean around the world, and that might mean in your neighborhood, in your family, in your office, in your school. Students, as you are entering another school year, some of you are entering another year where you're going to college, big transitions coming. But for all of you, you can look at that and say, this is God's call to go. I am going to this place with a call of God on my life. Yes, we want you to study and do all those things. But you go into it with the framework of God has put me here to go, to bring light into darkness. For those who are working in your office, those who you come in contact with, God has called you to go persevere, prioritize, be open to God using you. So this week, take some time and pray and just say, God, I want you to speak to me. Is there something you want me to do today? Is there something you want me to do with my life? Is there somebody I'm supposed to talk to? Is there something I'm supposed to reprioritize, something that is not so important that I need to be treating as not so important? Do a work in my heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are moving. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are moving in our hearts. And we're just going to take a second, just maybe even right now, just pray. Holy Spirit, have your way. I'm open to you. I'm open to you. Whatever you want, whatever you want, I am open. I'm seeking you, and I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do, because I know the urgency of the Great Commission compels me to go. Holy Spirit, do a convicting work in our hearts. Reprioritize things. Reprioritize our schedule, our bank account, our attitudes. Reprioritize everything in our life so that you would be the utmost important, that we would be open to hear from you. And God, I'm praying for those here who are in a trial. I pray that you would bring a healing work, that you would bring an encouraging work that we would be able to persevere that we would be able to persevere. There are people in the room today that are in, the bottom has dropped out, and they are in the low point. And I'm praying that you would bring peace and comfort, that we together would be able to persevere because you call us forward. You call us forward in love and peace and joy. And I pray that you would fill us all with joy, supernatural joy that makes no sense to those who are watching us but that we would be filled with joy because you have called us and you are with us and you are guiding us and providing everything we need and we are a part of your great work in this country and in this land and in this earth. Your kingdom is moving forward. and We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen.